Hey, dude, what you doing on Saturday? I don't know. Nothing, I guess. Cool, because Josh's parents are out of town, and he's throwing this sick party with college girls, man. College girls. It's going to be awesome. You're going, right? The Holy Spirit, invisible to the unbelieving world. No, man. Thanks, anyways. Convicting the world of sin and righteousness. You guys think that's dirty? Listen to this one. An old prospector walks into a bar. I gotta go. The Spirit reminds us of all of Jesus' teachings. I just don't get this verse. Oh. Jesus said of the Spirit, He will testify about me. Because the Bible says, I'm the vine and you are the... The... Oh man, what is it? The branches. Oh, okay. A faithful guide, steering us through difficult decisions. The Spirit walks with us through good times and bad. So, you're a Christian? Uh, yeah. But that's only because you grew up in a Christian home. Actually, it's because I've seen firsthand what he's done in my life. Not only that, but the Bible has more evidence to support it than any other ancient document. I didn't know that. Me either. The Hebrew word used to describe the Holy Spirit meant one who comes alongside. Mr. Jones. Encouraging us and providing us with wise counsel, the Holy Spirit walking with you day by day. I felt like it'd be good to go back to my student ministry days. That video is like 15 years old, but it really lays out what we see as the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I love the line because this happens in my life so much that somebody asked me a question and I answer it and I don't know where that answer came from and and she says I didn't know that and he's like me either because that's how I am so often I'm like me either like I don't know where that came from so but uh uh we are gonna, gonna spend our time this morning looking at the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is this mysterious mighty powerful misunderstood being uh part of why it is, is, I believe that the Spirit is, is so misunderstood, is we live and follow conservative doctrine when it comes to our theology uh, here at the church. And, and unfortunately in that, in the Western church, a lot of times that conservativeness in the doctrine has kind of diminished the role of the Holy Spirit because we're afraid that if we allow the Holy Spirit to work and, and move freely within our church that then we're going to go swing to this other side of the, the the spectrum into the charismatic pentecostal world and and they they're afraid that if they restrict the the spirit from moving in their church that they're going to swing over here and and we just quit talking about it and the spirit is alive in each one of us that are believers and the spirit guides us protects us disciplines us you name it. 
And so it's okay for us to talk about the Spirit. It's okay for us to live in the Spirit. It's okay for us to fill the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. And so I don't want you to be like scared that we're talking about the Holy Spirit today because it's not this, he's not this scary thing. He's not the scary persona of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is what makes us function as believers. It influences all parts of our lives. And Mandy and I have been married for almost 17 years, and uh, every day it adds to that, and it's a great thing. Um, when we were young in our marriage, when I was young and dumb, uh, we didn't have pet names for each other. She didn't call me Sweetie Poo or anything like that. Uh, we didn't have, like, little cute, like, I love you sayings. She had sayings that would keep me from getting fired. And one of those was when I would come up with this crazy idea as a youth pastor to do something fun or to pull a prank on a kid or, or something, she would look at me and she would say, yield to the spirit. And that was a very, very strong phrase for her to say to me because she was like, you know, back, if you, if you were a teenager in the 90s, what would Jesus do? WWJD was a big deal. And so we were always like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And then we kind of changed it to like whatever youth pastor we had at the time, what his name was. So what would Shane do? Or what would, you know, Scott do or, or whatever? Well, yield to the spirit carries much more weight to it. Because I can't just change somebody, put, interchange somebody's name into to that. Yield to the spirit. And, uh, and oftentimes I would listen to her and not do what I had planned to do because I recognized that there was wisdom in what she was saying. And other times I would look at her and I would say, the Spirit's telling me go right ahead. And it was this fine balance. And I say all that in jest, but the Spirit does guide us. And so let's look, let's pray, and then let's look and see at who the Holy Spirit is and how he lives in us today so that we can, as we celebrate Independence Day, we can live in this freedom. So let's pray. God, I just pray that you'd speak to us this morning. You'd help us unlock some of the mysterious nature of the Holy Spirit, Lord. This, this nature that can be so often misunderstood, misconstrued, taken out of context, but this, this persona of the Trinity that allows us to live in freedom, allows us to grow closer to you, and empowers us to carry out the great commission to go into the world and to preach the gospel and baptize and make disciples, Lord, that it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do that. So, Father, during this time, teach us more about you and, and who you are through this. In your name we pray. Amen. So, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third persona of the Trinity. We've looked at God the Father, God the Son. We're ending our little mini-series in the... Uh, the context of the greater series God is this morning. And the Holy Spirit is alive in each one of us today, alive and well in each, each believer. But the thing we need to know, and we looked at this when we looked at God the Father and we looked at this with God the Son, is that in, if the Trinity is one but three in one, then this means that the Holy Spirit has always been there. The Holy Spirit was there in the beginning, the Holy Spirit is here now, and the Holy Spirit will always be there. How do we know this? We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to preach almost the whole Bible today. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to go for the whole Bible, but we're going to preach a lot today. Uh, we're going to look at 
a, a lot of the scripture today, but Genesis 1, it starts right at the beginning. We see in Genesis 1, verse 2, it says that earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And it says, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the, the waters. This is at the beginning of the creation story, the very beginning of our scriptures. And we see that the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, the spirit of God. And so when we look at the original text here, when it says the spirit of God, it's a term ruah. Ruah equals spirit. And and so here you see ruah Elohim, the spirit of God. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. When you translate Ruah, it translates into, it can translate into wind or breath. And as you look all throughout Scripture, you see that when the Spirit is referenced, it's usually referenced in the terminology of the wind or the breath. When you get to the New Testament, you see it in Greek, it is pneuma. And, and it's, it's, it's the, it's, it's, it really is that. It's a, it's a spirit that you cannot see, but you can feel the presence, but you cannot see it. We cannot see the wind, but we can feel the wind. We know it's there. And much like when we can't explain something that's going on in our life that's spurring us to grow closer to God or closer to doing something for God, that's the Spirit moving inside of us. The Spirit's mysterious, mighty, moves around. When When Moses uses the word hovers here, He's using it to show that the Spirit moves in creation and in providence. The Spirit is everywhere. The Spirit is present during creation, but not, that's not the only time that we see the Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit mentioned all throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And we're going to pinpoint on two specific passages this morning, two specific sets of Scripture that will show us the Spirit in the Old Testament and the Spirit in the New Testament, and how we can take both of those and we can apply them to our context of living in 2021 uh, and let the Spirit guide in our lives. So in order to do this, turn with me to First. We're going to start in the book of 1 Samuel, and we're starting chapter 10. We're actually going to look at, at chapters 10 through, through 18, chap, or 18, 19, but, but most of it's going to take place in 1 Samuel chapter 10. If you know anything about 1 Samuel... Um, it is it is uh, it is the story of begins with Samuel, the last judge, also a prophet and a priest, anointing Saul as king, bringing in a a um, kingship into the the people of Israel, and then Saul giving way to David, giving way to King David. And so the the book of First Samuel is actually broken up into four main themes, four main parts. The first theme is the birth and the anointing of Samuel. And Samuel was the last great judge. And so up until this time, there were judges that would rise up in the nation of Israel and they would, they would oversee, they would govern the land, they would make decisions, they would, they would, they would judiciate the, the, the nation. And so that's happening in, first, in, in the first theme. And then, then as we start to pick up in part two, it focuses on the beginning and the development and the history of Saul. And Saul is Israel's first king. Now remember, there's two pivotal Sauls in the Bible, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. The New Testament is Saul who becomes Paul. The Old Testament is King Saul who precedes King David. 
And so here is, is the beginning of his kingship. Uh, and, and then in, in chapter 16 through 19, this is the third theme. We see a shift in the activity of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shifts away from one person, which would be Saul, and heads to uh, work in the live life of David, David being chosen by God. And then the fourth and final theme in the book of 1 Samuel is how David is ultimately comes to replace Saul as king. And David is important because David then, uh, as it goes down through his lineage, we see the birth of Jesus. And so this is very pivotal time in what's happening in the nation of Israel. We're, we're seeing a transition. We're seeing God move his his, reveal his will even farther and how things are going to set up because the Messiah is coming and the Messiah is going to be the king of the Jews. And the king of the Jews, if there's never been a king before, how are they going to know what that is? And so the events that, that take place in 1 Samuel are crucial to what takes place later in history with God the Son coming to live the sinless, blameless life that he does on earth. So let's start in chapter 10. And let's look at what is happening here. There's a transition taking place here. And we're moving from the governmental structure of the judges. Um, the book of Judges comes right before this, where the judges oversaw the nation. And then we had prophets and priests. And they would, they would all work together and minister um, the, 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 the day-to-day details of the nation. And it transitioned to a kingship. It's transitioning to a kingship. And, and what, what is happening is Samuel is guiding this process, this movement. Remember I said Samuel is the last great, great judge. He's a prophet. He's a priest. He's in touch with the Lord guiding him here. And in chapter 9, if you were to read chapter 9, you see that Saul is chosen to be king. Saul is, is chosen and, and begins the preparation and in, verse 9, 20, in chapter 9, verse 27, it says that Saul is to come to Samuel, and Samuel is to begin to prepare Saul by teaching him God's word. Israel is God's chosen people. They rely on God's word. Samuel is to begin to prepare Saul to be king by teaching him God's word. So what we learn here is that Saul was called to be king, but Saul was not ready to be king. He, was, he needed to be trained. He needed to be discipled in order to be prepared to be king. But in order for Saul to be king, he also had to have something else. He had to have an anointing. He had to have a specific ordained calling on his life. Just like for me, I have a specific moment that was roughly this week, like July 5th, 1997, that I felt God's call on my life to enter into vocational ministry. And that was quickly confirmed by spiritual leaders in my life that tells me that I was anointed to do this. It wasn't the typical way that they did it in the Old Testament, but there was a confirmation. And so here in, in, in he receives a call in chapter 9, and in chapter 10, verse 1, it is verified. He's anointed with oil by Samuel that's confirming that he is to reign, the people, reign over the people of the Lord and to save them from their enemies. Saul was to do all of this as the king. And in this anointing, the Lord is choosing to prepare the king for kingship through the empowering of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And so here, 
he is, Saul is going to be empowered through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. He was going to be, be, be prepared to be the king. And if you look at the, the Hebrew word for anointing that is present here, it is popularly, tra- popularly translated to the word Messiah. And if you take the, that word and you translate it into Greek and then translate that word, it translates to Christos or Christ. And so when we see an anointing on the king, it is the beginning process of the Messiah to come. The anointing of the oil was an outward expression of what the spirit was doing inside of Saul. And when we talk about baptism here in our church, what you will hear me often say is that when we go into the baptismal waters and we are immersed and come back up in in symbolism of Jesus, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that that is an outward expression of an inward transformation in our lives. And so this anointing of Saul was an outward expression of what the Spirit was doing inside of him. So look at chapter 10, verse 6 through 8, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hands find to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you, down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you, and you show what you shall do. So we have four different things that happen here, um, and, and, and it happens. It says, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. When it says you will be turned into another man, that is saying you are going to be transformed. You are going to be made different. You are going to begin a different person, or as the New Testament says, you will be a new creation. And so what happens first is that you first have to have, and we see it here, that the Spirit of the Lord has to come, the coming of the Spirit. The Spirit came to Saul, and in that you will be called to be with the Spirit. You will be called to be with the Spirit. Now, this is what I believe about salvation. I believe that God calls people to him. The Spirit calls people to him. There's a stirring inside of you. If you've ever gone through this process, you know that something changes inside of you that says, I need to know more about this. I need to know more about God. I need to have a relationship with God. There's a stirring. But I believe that we have a choice and we have the freedom to choose. Are we going to make him our Lord and Savior or are we going to deny him? But the Spirit comes and calls on us. The Spirit came and placed a call on us for Saul to be with the Spirit. In verse 6, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. The Spirit came to him. And then the second thing that happens is that you will prophesy. Paul, or Saul here, I'm going to get him confused all day long because I'm so used to talking about Paul in the New Testament. Saul, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rush on you and you will prophesy with them. Saul is not a prophet. Saul is not a prophet. But what he's happening is he's reporting what is happening inside of him. And he's testifying what the Spirit has done for you. If you look at the Greek or the Hebrew word for, for prophecy, and you look at the Greek word for prophecy, and you translate those, they translate to preach. So, so whenever we preach, we're prophesying. Well, well, all you're doing when you give your testimony, you are prophesying what the Spirit has done for you. 
Saul begins to prophesy that there's something different inside of him. He begins to, 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 to testify what the Spirit has done. It says you will prophesy with them just like the prophets. It's not saying he is a prophet, but he's prophesying with them. And then what you begin to say is, and I say this with, we do this with baptism, that it's an outward expression of an internal transformation. You are telling people what God has done in your life. You're proclaiming, you are revealing that God has done something in your life. And then the internal transformation starts to take place. Because the moment you're saved, you are free, but are you really the complete person that God wants you to be? No. We have to go through a process. We have to go through a, a, a transformation. We have to become changed from the inside out. And you see that it tells, tells Saul that he is going to be turned into another man. He is going to be transformed. The Spirit is going to change him from the inside out. The Spirit guiding him, empowering him, changing him. But we have to be real careful here because we have to remember that we're looking in the Old Testament and we're looking at Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant of the law. There is no indication in this passage that Saul was saved here. There's no indication that Saul became a Christian here, became a believer here. What it is saying is that the Spirit of God came upon Saul to prepare him to function as a king. For us to read anything more into this text is to go beyond what the Old Testament really says. And those words are from my systematic theology professor, Malcolm Yarnell, breaking down this verse to say, be careful. Don't don't place something that hasn't happened there prematurely if it doesn't say it. And I think we put this into context of today when we talk about politics today. And we say God has chosen this person to lead our nation or to be one of the leaders of our nation. And if God has placed it on our hearts that this person is to be one of those leaders, then that must mean that they're a godly person. And that is not true all the time. Yes, there are some godly men. I um, uh, know of a, a, a senator from the Oklahoma that before he ran for Senate, he was a youth ministry specialist for the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. I have no doubt that he's a godly man placed in Washington to lead our country. And I know there's more and more situations like that. But too often we feel a stirring in our hearts to vote in a direction And then we say, well, God's going to save this person. And that's not necessarily the case. But God can use them. They still have to choose to be saved by him. Paul, or Saul, it does not say that he was saved, but it says that he was prepared to function as a king. Saul is inwardly transformed, even if he isn't necessarily saved or born again. Think how many times in your life, even if you weren't a believer, that somehow you were prepared to do something you, weren't, you didn't think you had the ability to do. Saul was prepared to become and inwardly transformed to become the king. How do we know that this transformation took place? Well, we see it in chapter 10, verse 21 and 22, and then we see it in chapter 11. It starts in 21 and 22. It says, he brought the tribe of, the tribe of Benjamin nearby its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they're looking for Saul, and they can't find him. So they inquired again of the Lord, and they asked, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, 
he has hidden himself among the baggage. And when I think of a picture of this, I think of when I'm at the airport and the, the, the baggage carousel, and I just picture Saul, like, hopping on that baggage carousel, putting the bags over him, and, like, riding back to the back of the airport so nobody could find him. Because he hides himself. He's afraid to face the people. He's afraid to face what they're going to say. How often does that happen in leadership today? Someone who is placed in a position of leadership hides. But if you go to verse, or chapter 11, verse 6, what we see is that the Spirit of God has changed Saul and his behavior. Because it says in verse 6, it says, And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul, and when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. Saul goes from hiding in the baggage, afraid to, to face the people, to speaking out because the Spirit is with him, being angered at what was going on, and now being able to proclaim boldly and to speak boldly. Where else do we see this boldness? Well, if we go to the New Testament and we see Pentecost happen, and then we see them filled with the Spirit, and we see Peter, and we see Paul, and we see the apostles boldly proclaiming the word. And Peter, who was the most unqualified person, becoming one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Because the Spirit transformed him. The fourth thing we see here is the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit guides us. You walk with the Spirit guiding you. Saul is guided to this position. He's guided to be king. He's guided to move from this man that hides in the baggage to being bold in his proclamation, in his leadership. Verse 6 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. The Spirit is with him. We find that the Spirit connects with God and to God. And when we speak of the Spirit... The thing we need to remember as we talk about the Trinity, that they are, the Trinity is one, but also three in one. When we speak of the Spirit, we are also speaking of deity. When we speak of the Spirit, we are speaking of God. Because the Spirit is God, and God is with you. Verse 7, 1 Samuel 10, verse 7 says, Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. God is with you. God will guide you. The Spirit is God. As we move through the book of 1 Samuel, we see a few more attributes that are continued here. In, verse, in chapter 16, we find that the Spirit is sovereign. We find that, find that the Spirit is sovereign. And it says in the, in the first part of 1 Samuel 16, this is when Samuel is being guided by God to choose David. And the Spirit is sovereign. He's, he's, he's overlooking everything that's happening. And look at what 16.7 says. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so what's happening here is as David is chosen, his brothers have all the outward qualifications of who should be the next king. 
But God's saying it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you look like. If God looks at your heart and sees a servant inside him, inside you, he's going to use you. David's heart was for God. David is known as a man after God's own heart. And so when the Lord tells Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance, but we're looking at the inward appearance, this is the man that I have chosen. The Lord chooses David to, to serve as king in this particular moment in history. Not only for Israel at the time, not only to lead Israel at the time, but to lay out his plan of salvation and redemption for the world. David was chosen. And think about how mind-blowing it is that in all the history of the world, God chose you to live now. He could have chose you to live a hundred years ago with no technology. He could have chose you to live a thousand years ago with no bathrooms. He chose you to live now so that you can go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. First Samuel 16 also, or First Samuel also tells us that the Spirit is personally identifiable with the Lord as well as with God. In First Samuel 18:10 it says that a harmful spirit from God came on Saul. And First Samuel 18:14 says the Lord was with David because what we're, what we're having. Remember, I said in the third part of First Samuel we have a a transition taking place where the Spirit is moving from Saul to David, from, the, from, from anointing Saul as king to now anointing David as king. And so 18.10 says, a harmful spirit from God came upon Saul. And 18.14 says, the Lord was with David. And then in chapter 19, it, it says it again in 19.9, it says, once again, a harmful spitfire from the Lord came upon Saul. So you see the words interchangeable, God and Lord, about the harmful spirit coming on um, Saul. And then in 1920, it says, the Spirit of God, 1814 said the Lord, but 1920 says the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they prophesied. The Spirit is there. The Spirit is sovereign and chooses how and when and where and in whom to work. The Spirit can come and go. The Spirit raises up churches to make a difference. And there will be a time, no matter how great the church is, that the church will lose its influence and another church will rise up. The Spirit is moving all around. The Spirit of God is personal and he guides all of his creatures to do what he freely wills. The Spirit became the covenantal deity over Israel. The Spirit, they were living under the covenant of the law, and the Spirit was the, the deity that oversaw that. And they lived under the covenant of the law with the Spirit being in charge. The Spirit would guide them through the law, both blessing and disciplining them accordingly. If you read all throughout the history of Egypt or Israel, they've got blessings and they've got punishments all directed by the Spirit. So let's, trans, let's, let's, let's change over to the New Testament. Let's stop for a second and look at our culture today. Because we don't live under the culture, the, the covenant of law today. We live under the covenant of grace. 
Now, our country and our state and our city has laws. And we are supposed to live under those laws. That's part of being a Christ follower is to respect authority. And if you've paid attention to culture at all, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore, and we, um, we flaunt it that we don't care about our laws. We don't care about our authority. We take this whole idea of grace and take it to the extreme and, and throw it out the window because there is no grace in what we just do what we want to do. And so what we see is we see people who break the rules, and then when they get punished for it, people come to their defense about how unfair it was, even though the rules are in place. We see people who break the law and then find every loophole they possibly can to get out of that. I read an article yesterday of a man who has not paid his mortgage in 20 years, and they cannot evict him because he knows every loophole possible by hiring a different lawyer the day of the, the hearing he can now postpone being evicted. And the, the people that own his loan can't do anything about it. And he's circumventing the law and not, not doing what is right. Culture is getting farther and farther and farther down this road every day. So when we look at the spirit of the New Testament, we've got to go to one of the... the, the, the the greatest chapters in all, of his, in all of Scripture, in my mind, we've got to go to Romans chapter 8. So turn to Romans chapter 8, and we'll, we'll move quickly. But the Spirit, if you know anything about the Old Testament and the New Testament, what happens is at the end of the Old Testament and before the beginning of the New Testament, there's a time called, uh, called the intertestamental period, and it's 400 years. And in those 400 years, God is completely silent. Nothing is said. And then as we get to the, to the New Testament, it begins in the Gospels with, with the, the, the preparing of Jesus to come to earth and Jesus' birth and then Jesus' life and his ministry on earth, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then as he's beginning, as he's preparing to ascend back into the heavens in Luke chapter 24, he tells the disciples that the Spirit is coming. Look at what it says in Luke 24, 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, that's the ESV version. The New Living Translation version, I kind of like a little bit better in this case. And it says, now, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Jesus is telling the disciples that the Spirit is going to come. And the Spirit is going to empower you, and he's going to guide you, and he's going to show you the way. You just have to be patient. And we see that happen in Pentecost when the Spirit comes. And then the church is birthed out of this. Uh, the new revelation of the Spirit comes under the covenant of grace and, and, and the, the church is birthed. And we see great things happen and, and, and the gospel is taken all over the world through various events. And then we see Paul and he begins to write these letters as he sees things that are happening uh, to, the, to, to the churches, but he also writes to the Romans. And he writes to in Romans, and Romans is really a, a, a just outline of, of the gospel and living in the gospel and living in the spirit. And Romans 8 uh, is spot on how the spirit lives in us and how we live in the spirit. 
Romans 8, 1 through 13 tells us this. The Spirit gives life, and the Spirit is life. When we live in Romans 8, 1 through 13, um, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And I love verse... 6, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. We receive eternal life when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but the Spirit empowers us to live. And verse 4 commands us to walk according to the Spirit. Verse 5 commands us to live according to the Spirit. And verse 6 commands us to set our minds on the Spirit because the Spirit is life and the Spirit is peace. And the way we do that is because the Spirit lives inside of us. Verse 13 says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit indwells inside of you. And in that you get life. So in us, as we talk about Independence Day, we can live free because of the Spirit inside of us. The Spirit has brought freedom to us. Many men shed their blood so our country could be free. One man shed his blood so you can be free. To live freely in him. Paul continues here in Romans 8 and says, The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. And this is so cool. So cool that that God has chosen to do this. In verse 12, verse 13, Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You become a child of God, an equal heir with Christ. When you are saved, you are adopted. We become sons and daughters and children of God. Romans 8, 17 says, we are now heirs with Christ. It says, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified in him. We talk a lot about us being a faith family here, and we really are that. And when you come and you become part of our church, you become part of our family. And as a family, we, we laugh together, we live together, we cry together, we make each other mad, we suffer together, but we're family. And when I'm gone, I haven't been here very long, but when I'm away, I miss my family. 
and I hope you do too. When we become a believer in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we are filled with the Spirit, we are adopted heirs. And anyone else on earth before us and with us and future who makes the same decision are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, what they look like, what color their skin is, we are heirs in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. And so when we talk about issues of of race and, and all of that, if they're our brothers and sisters, we must love them if they've decided to follow Jesus. We're also to love our neighbors, but that's a whole other sermon for another day. But I want to wrap up so that we don't spend too much time here. But Romans 8.18, 8, um, one more attribute that I think is, is important for us today. But Romans 8.18 8, says, that, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory that is to be revealed to us. We don't know everything yet. There's still stuff happening. How, how often do you read your Bible and God reveals something new to you? Something you've never seen before. Things are going to be revealed to us for the rest of our days. And it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to come. We live in a harsh world. Paul lived in a harsh world. The sufferings that the, the believers went through, the followers of the way that went through in the early church, pale in comparison. Our, our sufferings pale in comparison to what they went through. And he says it's not worth comparing the glory, with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. He's talking about the future. He's talking about the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. And in order for us to bear the sufferings of the time that we live and the time that Paul lived in, he's talking about in verse 18, then the spirit must be a spirit of intercession. The spirit must intercede for us. The spirit steps in for us. Verse 19 through 22 teaches that the rest of creation is to be subjected to decay. But when you get to 23 through 31 of Romans chapter 8, it brings about the hope of intercession. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to pull three things out of this real quick. The first thing in verse 24 and 25, it says that the sufferings of the present are only bearable to the hope of the glory to be revealed. The sufferings of the present are only bearable to the hope of the glory revealed. You can read that in verse 24 and 25. Verses 26 and 27, it says the Spirit intercedes because of our present sufferings and weaknesses. If we didn't have the the sufferings and weaknesses, what would we need the Spirit to intercede for? The Spirit intercedes for us. And then verse verse 31, the thing you need to remember out of all of this when we talk about the Spirit is the Spirit is God. And nothing can overcome God. Because Romans 8.31 says this. What shall then we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? When we place our, our life in Jesus and we are indwelled with the Spirit, nothing can overcome us. They can beat us down and they can try and break us, but ultimately they cannot defeat us. Because we are with God. And the thing I love to say, and I've said this for a long, long time, is that when the Spirit indwells in us, 
the Spirit pours out of us. And so when you are filled with the Spirit, whenever you come in contact with someone and you have a conversation with someone, every breath that you breathe out as you speak, when you are filled with the Spirit, they are experiencing the Spirit. Because if the Spirit is breath, the breath is coming out of you. The Spirit is coming out of you. Think about that the next time you say something caustic to someone. Are those words of the Spirit or are those words of you? Because when we talk about going to the nations and preaching the gospel and baptizing them and making disciples, the best way to do that is for you to tell your story. And when you tell your story of how the Spirit is now indwelled inside of you, the Spirit will pour out in your breath on them and they can breathe. And I could be completely wrong on that, but that's just the way I like to picture that. And there could be a day, there'll be a day when I stand before God and he's like, yeah, you weren't quite right on that, but good idea. Um, I truly want to believe that every breath that I breathe, I'm breathing out the Spirit of God on the people I come in contact with. Changes your whole perspective on the way you go through your days. Changes your whole perspective on that line at Walmart and how you're going to treat people. But in order to do that, you have to know Jesus. In order to be indwelled with the Spirit, you have to know Jesus. And you have to know that he died for you. And he rose again so that you can profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe that God sent him to die for you so that you can live freely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we pray that the indwelling of the Spirit in us allows us to change the world around us. And for those that are in this room that don't, that don't know what that is like, don't know that indwelling, Lord, I pray that you would just place that call in their lives today, Lord, that they could come to you, that they could submit to you and proclaim that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior and allow the Spirit to come live inside them, that they would answer that call. That they would answer that call so that when someone says to them in a moment of, of weakness, says yield to the Spirit, they know what that means, to yield to the guiding actions of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is guiding their life in every step they take and every breath they, they breathe. Father, we thank you that we live in a country that is free. But more than that, we thank you that we can live freely in you. And we pray that you come quickly so that we can experience the ultimate freedom in eternity. We love you, Father. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand with us, we're going to sing a song of response. I'll be down front. If you would like to pray or, or, or make a decision or anything like that, I will be here. Um, and, uh, uh, and we won't be here long. Um, we want to celebrate uh, our holiday. But, uh, um, but take this time. Don't leave here today without. If God's placed something in your heart, don't leave here today without talking about that.